Hello listeners and welcome to another episode of Maintenance Disrupted. I'm your host, Steve Doby, and today I welcome Leah Freeberg to the show. We cover so much ground and we only scratch the surface of these topics. It is such a great conversation and I can't wait to talk to Leah some more. We cover things like uh, the ongoing supply shortage with different parts, how COVID has affected our workplace, um, how to get the most out of your coaches and consultants. It is such a great conversation and I can't wait to share it all with you. If you hear something you like in this show, please share it with other people and also feel free to reach out to us and Leah at any time. We love to chat. Before we get into our show, a quick message from our sponsor. Hello, listeners. I am really excited to introduce you to one of our sponsors, Electra Learning, and we've got Neil Summers here to tell us a little bit about it. So, Neil, tell me, what is Electra Learning? Hey, Stephen. Well, Electra partners with organizations to encourage supported change and business improvement through learning development. In short, we ensure that you get the best out of your team through sustainable training practices. We have extensive experience with major oil and gas, utility, mining, and manufacturing clients, and as a result, come to our clients with a clear understanding of the best way to ensure new systems are used most effectively. In particular, we specialize in the IBM asset management software Maximo and also in Microsoft 365. That's great, Neil. Now I can hear from your accent you're not from my locale. Why don't you tell me a little bit about where you come from and uh, what got you here today? Well, Electra has been in the UK for 24 years, so we're a well-established business there. I came to Canada in 2013 to set up our first North American office. My background in project management set me up really well to be able to identify a gap in the market, providing something that wasn't being done before. That's fantastic, Neil. Why don't you tell me a little about what has made you and Electra so successful and allowed you to expand so broadly? Well, training is people-based. The ability to make that connection between people and the software tool has been the key to our success. Our practical toolkit with comprehensive materials and templates and a variety of learning options such as live classroom training, web-based virtual training, one-to-one coaching, e-learning, as well as other services such as project and change management can all be applied and tailored to meet our client requirements. You can find out more about our service offerings by checking out our website, electrolearning.com. That's great, Neil, and thank you for supporting our podcast. All our listeners out there, make sure you go and check out Electra's website and see what they have to offer. Hello everyone, this is Steve Doby, and I wanted to tell you about our Maintenance Mastermind Mobile Equipment Edition. Beginning the week of June 21st, you can join us and... Hello everyone. <clears throat> Hello everyone, this is Steve Doby, and I want to tell you about our upcoming Maintenance Mastermind Mobile Equipment Edition. In this mastermind, we have five experts covering six topics over 12 weeks focused around mobile equipment and the people who maintain these assets. Each topic will have a training video, an interactive workshop, and a group assignment. Joining our mastermind session, you will learn how to manage your mobile assets better, you will connect with experts in your field for future support, and meet others in the mobile maintenance field. And as an added bonus, all attendees are entitled to one hour of coaching from the expert of your choice. Time is short, so make sure you sign up on our website, or get in touch with me, your host, Steve Doby. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Maintenance Disrupted. I'm your host, Steve Doby, and today I've got Leah Freeberg with me. How's it going today, Leah? It's going really well. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yes, it's. I have been trying to I've tried to get you on the podcast uh, at least once, uh, definitely have been on my list for a long time to join us on the show, so it's great to have you. 
Um, before we jump into today's topic, uh, why don't you just give us a little bit of background on yourself and where you've been, where you are, where you're going? <laughs> I can do that. I come from a family that's a mixture of engineers and writers. And I feel like I've been pulled in both directions my whole life. So sometimes I, I gear more towards the math and science part of my skill set and sometimes more toward the communications skill set. So what happened is I wound up in manufacturing communications, go figure, right? Where I was embedded with the engineers, which I loved, embedded out in the field with the people implementing and products and problem solving, but then communicating what we know, what we don't know, best practices, working with instructors and coaches and the rest of that, working with unions and education programs and universities and the rest of that. So that was really fulfilling. It's not that I don't admire and kind of wish I still was an engineer or a CMP, never went there, but I have great affinity for both sides. And it's, it's nice to feel like you're helping to pull everybody forward. So engineering communicator would be would be one description for what I do. I have worked for a variety of manufacturers and uh, technology providers in the past. And I currently I am often found on LinkedIn, pulling the conversation along. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I know that is one thing I've been painfully aware of as I've gone through maintenance disrupted is how much work my communication needs. Um, <laughs> when you listen to it, when you're in post-production and you're, you're listening to yourself, you're like, oh man, this speaking needs work. And then I'm sitting there looking at posts that I'm typing out. And um, I don't know if you've seen the post from Erin Gushi. Um, yes. She's, uh, she, she's a reliability engineer and she's doing like a, a and word a communicator. communication. Mm-hmm. And a communicator. And she's posting things on there. I'm just like, I thought I knew how to how to write and I thought mm-hmm. I knew English, but I had no idea. So <laughs> it's been a very enlightening experience. Um, so we definitely need more people like you Aww. out there helping, helping us uh, engineers that really don't know how to talk or write. <laughs> you know, what I admire most better. about people is the ability to continue to learn and grow. And obviously as reliability engineers, there's a huge focus on continuous improvement, but all of us in so many aspects of our life that continuous improvement. So don't, don't give up, just keep putting <laughs> in. That's great. Now, so the, the topic we wanted to jump in first was kind of around the disconnect between coaches and on-site, uh, on-site expertise and engineers and what that difference is and where that kind of challenge lies between the two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Uh, I don't have a, a question off the top, but what are your kind of initial thoughts on that? I can tell you what I see and what I suspect a lot of other um, trainers, consultants, coaches see out there, which is that we all have such great intent, you know, especially reliability engineers and people who are thinking at a larger level, they're thinking more long-term, they're thinking about where they want to be, not just at the current current goal or need or whatever it is of the day. And it's agonizing when you have that longer-term goal, but you can't get there because of the restraints or constraints of the current environment. And in many cases, that's you know a skill shortage. There's not enough people to do the job. There's the constant unpredicted, even though we're in the, in the world of predictive maintenance, there's still the thing that you did not expect that happened and you have to go deal with it, right? There is the management, the human element. So either whether it's the culture, whether it's management changes in personnel, all these different things that can interrupt maintenance disrupted, right? All those, all those things that get in the way of those long-term goals. And I, I feel the disconnect that I see um, is all of this emphasis put toward that long-term goal and these best practices and how to move forward when so much of the the workplace is just stuck in that grind, right? And unable to move forward despite best intentions. And uh, a colleague of mine broke his process down where he had been focusing on that that move forward and he he added on a whole separate section to the what what he would call the the pre-work the stuff at the very beginning of 
And it's basically a, how do you set the foundations you can break free? <laughs> how do you move forward, right? And there's lots of other people that focus on emphasizing on the smaller levels. And again, you can call it the, the, the quick win or what have you, but or the pilot, but it really does help because nobody wants to be stuck at that at that unmovable every day is a mess, um, especially again, when you have a skill shortage and you're doing far too many things. Um, if you if you can start to break it down again, this is where management comes in because you need that you need that uh, air cover. Um, but if you can start to break it down, I think that's the best way I've seen so far to bridge between the long term where we all want to go and the short term where we feel like we're spinning our wheels. Yeah, that's that's really good because, you know, it's it's funny. Um, most people I think we have on the show are are consultants in some capacity. And I'm I'm not a consultant. I, I'm on that end you that end users state. Mm -hmm. And so it's, mm -hmm. it's always a, a fun conversation because that's the question I have. And that's the whole purpose of my portion of the, show, of the show is over the line is basically this topic of how do we, how do we take something and move it into sustainment? So there's so many different projects that, you know, whether you get a consultant or you just have a good idea and you start going into that project and then you, you set it up, you get some of those quick wins and then but those quick wins took a lot to manage. It took a lot of, like, it was, it was a side of the desk project for somebody, but to keep it going, it has to stay right. their sole side of the desk project. Right. And most people don't want to just keep a side of the desk project and they want it to move into some sort of sustainment, but that's not possible because or even though this program saving us $2 million a year, there's no interest in hiring somebody to manage that program. And that's really what it needs to keep it going. And Great. so like, how do you, how do you address those challenges? And I know that's broad and topic specific, but like, what are your, what are your thoughts? I, I think we have some of the strengths out there. It's, it might be time to pivot some of them. So if I look at, for example, the Kaizen environment and it is built to take one of those ideas and put a bunch of team players on it, really investigate what works, what doesn't work, do some, some quick experiments, right? And then to change the process so that you can move forward and you know, to an extent continue experimentation, but also to sustain elements and grow elements. But um, sometimes the Kaizen machine is kind of locked into a certain avenue. Uh, maybe it's because of where the KPIs are set, maybe it's because of productivity goals. And so sometimes it takes kind of pivoting that and allowing a subset of a Kaizen to go. And also, you know, being okay with things that don't produce. It's always a big, a big part of it. So the KPIs can help us and they can also damage us. So if we if we're too keen on getting productivity out of every Kaizen experience, then we're going to limit the ability to for that experimentation and those small ideas to gestate and, and bear fruit. The, the other thing I would say is that those coaches are really important. Those consultants are so important. Having somebody come in, even just for a couple of days, and helping to lift those ideas up to help you process, because you're, again, you're so stuck in everything that's going on. So having, having somebody come in, helping surface some of the best ideas to move forward and you know show you things that you didn't even know or hadn't even realized or put together yet um, is a huge boost and then it can also help that management level conversation if you know you've been saying something but management didn't quite hear you or perhaps you didn't have the ROI argument um, in convincing enough terms sometimes having a really respected third party can help bridge that mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so you know, what, what are, what should we be looking for in a coach? Cause there's a lot of different people out there. And I, I recently had a conversation around like credibility and what, what actually makes somebody an expert and, and is going to help you with your problems. Like I, I've seen it, we've brought contractors and consultants in and we've had some very expensive co consultants. They come in and they're like a whirlwind when they get there. And then when they leave, you're sitting there looking around like, okay, what did you actually accomplish? And, and 
but for some reason it you know the management of the company thinks they did an amazing job because they they're great at communicating up but <laughs> and and so like what what do we need to watch out for when we're we're looking at these coaches and consultants it's a great question with a lot of answers <laughs> um it's important that the consultants again have that pre-work right they're not going to just show up cold that they've they've set the stage uh for both sides to do advanced work the consultants doing advanced work and the team is doing advanced work so that you come in ready and the team is invested it's not this angel coming in from on high doing a bunch of work the team knows what their role is going to be right and they are they are working and uh invested and you're seeing that buy-in take place um as it's happening and then you don't just leave you have next steps you have follow-ups you have cadence you have schedule all of that stuff in place so you want to know that that structure is there and then the question of of who the consultant is championing is also important um who who are they there to support and again it depends on plant structure are you corporate are you a single plant um what is the relationship between the different teams how multi-tasked or specific discipline is a team but um that on the one hand there has to be really good interaction the cross-functional teams especially in a breakthrough tend to work the best especially long term but you also need to know who does that who is who is that uh, consultant um reporting up to right and and what who's who's the champion and what is their main goal yeah that's a that's a great point um because you know as a reliability engineer um your managers come in and they they bring you in a consultant say here here's this person to help you out you ate you didn't ask for it you didn't expect it and now you're sitting here trying to deal with this consultant that you don't really know what they do what their skill set is you look them up it's maybe still a bit of a mystery and it's it's hard to manage because they're asking you for things and you, you're not sure what the deliverable is because you haven't been part of that conversation and so i think that engagement with the individuals on site and in the plants and like um having that right at the start of the conversation and that pre-work like you said like what are the stakeholders let's let's make sure they're engaged they understand what the purpose of the consultant is because even if that reliability engineer didn't request it it's still potentially a, a good idea to bring in that consultant for whatever reason that the managers think it is um but to get the most out of that engagement they need to connect with the on-site people who are ultimately going to do the work and then you know as that on-site person it's how often you're sitting there you're you're barely keeping your head above water with all the projects you have going and then all of a sudden the consultant's sitting there knocking at your door saying hey i'm i'm here to help but i need you to pull all this data do yeah. do this analysis help right. me with this and you're like i don't have time right right it's it's a and that's exactly that disconnect um between the day-to-day -day site reality and the consultant and I would say that the burden falls on the consultant and on the the champion or on management um, mm -hmm. to to create a landscape where that pre-work is achievable and to establish a goal and um and a path that uh, is not going to create an us versus them situation mm -hmm. because it is hard. It is very hard. I. Uh, it's not for me to say, you know, how do you change your priorities? Um, what can you leave aside on a given day, especially if you're, you know, you've got things that are that are going sideways as they always do. Um, and you don't want your staff or team to be in the, in the situation where they feel burdened after this by mm -hmm. their their work orders or what have you still being undone or they're getting penalized at the end of the month because they didn't make right mm -hmm. their quota the rest of it so 
uh, I'll keep coming back to the management angle where you really do have to set it up for success and you really do have to orchestrate buy-in and you really do have to know how this is going to integrate. Yeah, and it does come back to that leadership aspect. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, it, it's funny. We just, the episode that came out there last week, we were talking about lessons learned over the last mm -hmm. three years of maintenance mm -hmm. disrupted and Rob's reliability project. And the lesson is, you need to fix leadership like that really is <laughs> like, that's where so much of it comes down to and it's so easy to say and but a lot of people don't realize what it actually means to be that good leader and what it means to actually help out your team so that a manager or or somebody in that role might think hey i'm going to get this consultant my team's strapped they need help they get a consultant and they get a coach in and they think they're relieving a burden and really they've just added it on because they didn't engage with the team where they're probably thrilled to get the extra support they just want to be part of that decision making and identifying what support there is it is that they need so mm -hmm. that's the difference i guess between manager and a leader is the leader will work with them to figure out what support they need and the manager will just find something perhaps and then you have to add on the individual leadership aspect, mm -hmm. right? Where in the best functioning teams, everyone's enabled. Mm -hmm. Again, you have to grow that. It doesn't just happen automatically or by itself. It's not just that I come in to work and, and I'm, I'm going to notice things and raise my hand and suggest new workflows just because that's who I am. It, mm -hmm. it has to be something that the, the workplace has nurtured, right? So again, you've got this, this meta of the larger scope leadership and the individual leadership, and you want it coming from both angles to mm -hmm. identify change, sustain change, and still move forward at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so I kind of want to jump over into a bit of the communication aspect, because that's something that I think we as engineers and consultants and and everybody in that world we don't do super great like i mentioned at the beginning like i you know going through this i've had so much to learn so like if you're you're sitting there you're you're struggling um to get things done you're overwhelmed and stuff like one of the hardest things to do is actually communicate that you need help mm. and so how do we how do we go about that? Like when we're just to kind of bridge that conversation with the consultants and coaches, how do you bring that and say, look, I, you know, I'm, I'm working as hard as I can, and, and things just you know aren't working out. Can I get some extra support? Like how do you bridge that conversation um, to kind of start that process going? Yep. Uh, I think that trust is really important here and trust is again a component of leadership but if you trust the people on your team you can have that conversation of, damn that is not working that just happened again and you know it happened last time and we thought we had it figured out and then it happened again what's going on um or even something that feels like complaining or whining, uh, you know, about the process, about the workflow, whatever it is, it's just driving you nuts. If you feel like you can talk about it with your team, that is mm -hmm. the first step to airing it, to getting it out, because otherwise it just sits in there, right? And it gets mm -hmm. bigger. So that atmosphere of getting it out is really important because not everyone's a writer. Not everyone's going to sit there with a whiteboard and chart it. I mean, a lot of our engineering brains are awesome at that. So some people I know absolutely keep a whiteboard or a notebook and they write those frustrations down as they happen. And then mm -hmm. you see a pattern because engineers also love patterns. So you're, you're pulling all this stuff down and then, you know, you might, you might get to that point of like, oh, right. But if that's not you, then that process of talking it out as a team is really a great next step. Um, because, you know, maybe there's a problem solver. Again, those of us who just want to go right to the problem, to the solution, <laughs> right? Can't help ourselves. So I bring up a complaint, something that's driving me nuts. Somebody else is right there with a the solution. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready for a solution. Or what about this? Or 
have we asked, you know, the other guy over there? And so you create a back and forth with that that moves it forward. So the, the other person wasn't wrong to suggest a solution. It's just you're, you're just pushing it forward. And that's actually another writer's trick of nobody wants a blank page. But if you put something up there that isn't necessarily right, it triggers another part of the brain to go, oh, now I know what I want to say. Right? And off you go. So those kinds of, of comfort levels of getting the frustration out and then starting to talk about it if you can, applying a bit of teamwork, not being frustrated if you don't come up with the next step right away, sometimes letting it fester is really important. Again, different people work different ways. I've known um, problems and solutions to having to sit for months before finally we have enough accumulated data and thinking to say, let's try this, right? So I would say, get it out, express it, air it, talk at it, throw darts at it, and then eventually you will probably get to the point where you're ready to do something. Yeah, so so essentially treat it like any other engineering problem, like you, yeah. you define the problem statement, work through potential solutions, and then I guess that, you know, that that kind of keeps flowing from there. You, once you have that full problem statement defined, you know, you know, after whatever it is, if you can sort it out in one session, or it takes a few months, or or perhaps longer, then you, you've charted that path forward. And so, um, yeah, I think that's that's really a great tip. And that's not something we do often because I think we sit there and we sit there frustrated with things mm-hmm. and we, we don't actually think about, we'll think about solutions or, or we'll think about what we need and we'll go and we'll just say that this mm-hmm. is what we need. Where instead we need to take that step back and define that problem, work it out so that the leadership has the at least the feeling that they were involved in that um, solution creation, <laughs> and then uh, and then and then work through that. So now the other aspect of communication that I think is really important. So there's obviously that that piece of being able to communicate with your, your team and understand the problems, but like what about when you're communicating with other teams. Um, and, and I guess that's moving into more of the change management piece and communication plans. And like, if you're rolling out a project and you need buy-in from, from other people, like, how do we, how do we start that? Like there's, there's so much literature and so many things out there in terms of this is how you go about this. And, and this, as a technical person, I actually find it quite hard to follow. Okay. The very best piece of advice I have there is to make friends. And it might be at the water cooler level. It might be at some other sort of activity that's happening at the plant. You know, what car you drive or where you eat lunch, or you happen to notice somebody's kid is in the same sort of activity as yours, what have you. But that not necessarily task related relationship is really important to bridge that divide. And then the consistent saying hello of checking in. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, it feels like a waste of time. You're like, just want to go for it. But that human interaction absolutely creates trust. And that way, when you do have a, a business matter that you need to approach from multiple perspectives, you have an existing relationship to build on there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for sure. Taking like I used to as when I would communicate, when I get too far into the math and science part of my brain, I would start a communication with the problem. Like, this is what I need to talk about. And then I'd say, wait a minute, start at the beginning. Hi, how are you doing? It was really great <laughs> to see you today, right? So <laughs> and that's sort of a, a, a small example of the larger picture. But taking that step back and remembering that we are all humans and bringing that, expanding that trust and the, I want to work with you elements in there is indispensable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, it, that dynamic has gotten so much different over the last year. And yeah. with, I've been at home essentially for the last 15, 16 months now. And 
those water cooler conversations, walking in, saying hi to somebody, you're grabbing a coffee and making those relationships hasn't been possible. So like we've had a few people start, well, every organization has had a, a bunch of people start in their organization that have never worked in the office with these people. That's so and, and like I, I feel terrible for them because there's no way, you know, that first day you walk down, you go down the hallway, you meet everybody and you get at least that initial introduction, what these people are about, but that just doesn't happen anymore. I had a, I had one team member start and I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. Just do it virtually. So I called up everybody as <laughs> I, mm -hmm. I, it's funny in my brain. I went where their office along the way down the hallway oh, and I called funny. them in that order, but, um, Oh, that's funny. Broken brain perhaps, or just legs patterns or. Yeah. No, we, I think we've, <laughs> we've all had colleagues that we've gotten to know. Um, and I, I think industry was already headed this way, especially if you have a multi-plant yeah. environment where you already had some, some colleagues who you saw less in person. And then the last year and a half just exacerbated it for a lot of facilities and teams. Yeah. And, and we all have colleagues we've gotten to know just virtually. And uh, it's interesting because it's tempting it's always tempting to label because we want to define, right? We want to say, okay, I understand who this person is and how they are. Mm -hmm. And the same advice would apply there is to just, just let it develop for a little while because I can say meeting somebody, you know, the first couple of inter interactions, maybe they had a really bad day. Maybe they're having that resistance to having to work with me, right? And they're like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, don't label them as obstructionist or passive aggressive or whatever it is. Just like, just, you know, be good and let your true self shine, right? So contribute, suggest, move forward. And usually the other party will calm down, right? The, the resistance or the, the fear or the suspicion will drop and you will find those common working grounds and then off you go. But it takes more effort when you are virtual than when mm -hmm. you are in person because you can't read the body language nearly as well. You don't have all those little interactions that we're used to. Um, you don't know what widgets they have on their desk or you know the, all the other little the, the signals that we have. So again, we're so pressed for time. We have so much we need to get done and yet we need to stop and pay attention to what the next what the what we're learning about that person mm -hmm. yeah no you're you're absolutely right because um there's one of the most impactful things i think that i have had with with dealing with people is i took it, it was just like an, an audiobook on audible it was um, on the great courses by seth freeman i think his name is and it was um and what he said in there was be hard on the problem not on the people right and, and taking it that at that time, I was like, you know what, this is, this is right. I'm having problems with this one group in this one department. And as soon as we get into a room, there's no, there's no niceties or anything. And it's just straight to the problem and just fire away. I'm like, I need to take that step back. I need to think about, okay, what, who is this person? Let's get to know them. Cause at the end of the day, they have their priorities. I have my priorities, mm -hmm. but we're, we're, we're just people and the, this problem is obviously making us not like each other which which isn't fair because they're 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 nice people um and so it's but with this virtual world that has gone away you start a meeting each meeting we we strive for a structure um everybody's been told like your meeting should be have this structure it should have a safety share like you need an agenda it should have a safe share it should have this 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 and so you start your meeting and then you, you go down the list and you miss that. Hey, how's it going? What is, you know, how are your kids doing? And whatever it might be, that conversation is just, just gone now. And so we've all focused on, let's go hard on the problem. Mm -hmm. And we haven't take the go easy on the people bit because mm -hmm. there's no time to talk about the people. And so it's, you know, it's, when you're struggling with somebody and, and uh, a job or something like that, it's just hard on that problem. And they take it as hard on that person as well. Like there's been so many more interactions that if 
we were just in person, yes, it would not have been as big of a deal as it was. Yeah, it's true. And we default to that action state. We default to progress and bring a proposal and move it forward and get right to business. And mm -hmm. it's really important for us to show that capability, right? To win that respect. And it's very hard for us to, to soften that at all because we feel like we're being judged right away mm -hmm. because we're in an atmosphere of productivity. And it, and it may be true, you may be being judged. Um, and it's, if, if we can get, again, management, individual leadership, right? If we can get the association that that slight softening actually brings higher yield at the end, everybody buys into that concept then you can eventually reach that that balance of a little bit of softening and a little more human with still the 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 group determination to move forward and to problem solve mm -hmm. but people who are a little bit more relaxed and i'm sure rob could talk to this much more effectively than i can but people who are a little bit more relaxed and more trusting will problem solve infinitely better than people who are feeling judged feeling like they have to perform right Mm -hmm. um, yes, there's an adrenaline that kicks in there, but it's not as sustainable as the as the other state. Yeah. In fact, one of the the, the coaching lessons that I always struggled with was the always bring a proposal. Anytime you're talking to management, don't just bring a problem. Always bring here's my next step. Here's my suggestion. Right. Here's how to move forward. What if you don't have one? Right. <laughs> I've so. always hated that. <laughs> I've always hated that. Like. Uh, don't bring me problems, bring me a solution. I'm like, I don't have a solution. All I have is this problem. I don't know how to solve it. If I knew how to solve it, it wouldn't be a problem. Right. <laughs> I need to trust you, my manager, that I can air this yeah. in its unsolved state. And I need you to trust me that I'm gonna work on this, but I need you to know that this is going on, right? So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And oh, that, that conversation, I, I had a university professor that did that and I'm like, I literally am just getting introduced to this topic and I can't, and I do not understand what, what this is. And, and it's the same thing at work. Like, you know, the most questions you get are generally from the people who are new and um, engineers who are just starting. Like there's, those are the ones that will have the hardest time coming up with that solution to whatever problem they're facing. And, you know, I've seen it far too often where the new engineer just gets berated for not having an idea. I'm like, man, yeah. They don't know maintenance yet. They don't know reliability yeah. yet. Like we can work for years in this field and still and barely scratch the surface of of what it is to be here. So it's like, you know, you got to give them a break. And again, it's that hard on the problem, easy on the people. Like talk about the problem and, you know, at least give them tools to find answers or people, other people to talk to to start generating yeah. those solutions. Right. And what if they so. ask the question in a different way that mm -hmm. triggers a new line of thinking? that's a value in and of itself but mm -hmm. over the top of all of that you want to enable that questioning mindset because that's mm -hmm. continuous improvement yeah absolutely that's what makes the the long term sustainable and if you squash that game over right at the beginning yes fully agree <laughs> oh yeah, it's hard to coexist. It's really, especially in manufacturing, it applies to lots of other mm -hmm. other workplaces, but it's really hard to coexist with the productivity uh, just being so tight. And again, all the shortages, whether it's skill shortages or supply shortages or the rest of it, like we're all tense and we're all yeah. worried about the next thing that's going wrong. And it's really hard to, to know that that is a must-do situation at the same time to allow yourself to be vulnerable or trusting or ask questions mm -hmm. or rate the rest of that hard yeah yeah exactly and like it's funny moving into kind of the shortage piece because there's a lot of shortages happening now it's we've got semiconductors um like uh, heavy duty engine parts are, are coming into shortage like just everything i think over the last year and year and a half compounding mm -hmm. is compounded and now that the world is starting to ramp up again we're seeing hey we don't actually have the supply that we used to like yes um and it's oil, exacerbated oil, by the talent shortage right yeah 
Yes, so exactly. It can be both things happening at the same time that you may not have the materials and you may not have the trucker. Mm -hmm. And it, it's such a strong, hard challenge to deal with. And it's like, what do you, uh, and I think this is where like, talking about the, the, the times where people are going to start to get angry. Like your production mm -hmm. team is mm -hmm. going to get really angry when you say, we don't have enough oil to keep this component running. Yeah. Like there's an oil shortage. We yeah. are out. Yeah. And, and I think this is the time when communication is, is probably the most important and being mm -hmm. upfront and saying, look, here's, here's our current supply of whatever parts it is. Here's our consumption. This is where we're going to fall short. And that is awesome forward looking uh, an awesome forward looking approach and absolutely the right way to start that conversation of let's just accept that we are in an un unpredictable environment where our all of our previous best practices aren't aren't going to pull us through mm -hmm. and we have to change we have to change our assumptions we have to change our workflows we have to change even our our production um expectations in order to compensate for we don't have enough loop we don't have these parts right whatever mm -hmm. it is that that we need to compensate for yeah. those are hard decisions yeah yeah i, I was just walk, working through that with a colleague and she was like uh we were, we we're talking about how to manage through these problems because like i said there's a few and you know like uh, my first step is always okay let's let's see like Usually if it's parts, part shortage or anything, it's okay. What is the consumption that we see? Mm -hmm. Let's identify that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if it's, if it's replaced based on a failure, chart the Weibull, do the probabilities, get all, do, do all that a analytics on it and which aren't particularly hard. And then, uh, and then once you have that rate, you know, go to your supplier, understand what those allocations are going to be for you. Mm -hmm. Good chances they have no idea at this point. Mm -hmm. But if you can tell them, hey, this is what I use. This is exactly what I'm going to need. Here's my graphs. Mm -hmm. Chances are you're going to be more likely to get that because you're asking for exactly what you need. Yeah. Everybody else is just saying, give us the same stuff. And they're not giving data behind it. But if you come to them prepared with what you need and reasons you need it, you might not get everything you're looking for. But I think you're going to be better off. And that supplier is probably going to work closer with you to try and resolve that issue because you're coming to them with a solution and and you're trying to work out the best best possible way to work together to make that work where yeah. a lot of the other companies are just they're yelling at them saying give us what you promised to give us and right for the most part the people they're talking to they can't it's completely yeah. out of their control <laughs> yeah so you've just brought the relationship part forward. You've brought the pre-work part forward, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yep. And and a little bit of that problem solving and and obviously the data the data mindset. And you know, one of the first pandemic conversations I had was with a supply chain expert who basically said, "Put all of your inventory management practices to the side." because we are no longer trying to control cost, right? And just-in-time delivery and the rest of that. That is not the point right now. The point right now is critical parts. Mm -hmm. What do you need to have to keep things running? And where do you need to suck it up and pay more? How long <laughs> can you wait for something? You need, to, you need to think about all those data points completely differently in an atmosphere of, of shortage and adjust the budget, adjust the conversations, adjust, you know, what you're allowed to do in order so that you're not stuck, but then it's not a one and done. You have to keep doing that as the environment changes, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, precisely. Because it's, and being open about it is by far, I think the most important thing. Like it's, and a lot of suppliers won't be open about it. Like, I think we have to go and ask them um, different, like it, they don't want to lose your business. They're hoping that things just work out in the end, mm -hmm. but chances are, and, and that's a big risk to all our businesses, right? Like uh, like you work for Fluke. If they stop sending you semiconductors, there's going to be a big problem with all your equipment that you're offering. <laughs> um, if we start yeah. not getting engine parts for our trucks, 
well, that's going to cause a big impact on production. Same thing with every single yeah. single facility, right? And it's it's insane to- that Apple and GM and everybody, I mean, these massive companies have had to push out their delivery dates by half a year. Yeah. I laughed a little bit when I heard that Samsung uh, is cutting TV production because I just think of every Black Friday sale and people walking out of their house walking out of there with three or four TVs. I'm like, this is, this is like, is there going to be a problem or are people just going to have to settle with not getting a new TV? But yeah, but these are all decisions we need to make and and what's important to us. And can we, can we live without that? And, you know, not upgrading your TV, probably something we can live with, but that poor, uh, the poor, poor family with the toddler that threw a rock through a TV might have a different opinion, right? Well, as you as you pointed out earlier, the economy is is coming back, right? Mm-hmm. And so all of that repressed demand and opportunity now wants to be exercised. So it's it, it does create quite a, a tension. Um, and and some of the things like the the the, T, the TV, for example, put that. In the, in the category of a nice to have versus a need to have, but other things are absolutely a need to have. And you can't ask the entire economy to prioritize, um, right? Because it's it's a free market. So it's everyone's duking it out for those same semiconductors or whatever it is, it's, that's a shortage. I went to the, the pet food store and the entire shelf was, was empty. And when I asked why, they said it's a packaging shortage. It's not the dog food itself, it's the packaging. So, Right. Thankfully, she can eat a different. <laughs> dog Remember when our biggest problem was toilet paper shortage? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it requires so much nimble and agile behavior, and day after day after day. Again, bringing it back to the human of we're not always going to get one hundred percent right, but if we don't keep trying, then we're sunk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then and- always remembering that. The, the human element here is impor- so important too, because if you're in it, if, if the pain is there for you not getting it, the pain is also there for that supplier not being able to deliver it. Your account manager is struggling just as much as you are. Right. And like, even though we work for different organizations, we are, we're all on the same team. Well, what's, be- what's best for our different organizations and the organizations we've provide services to, like, we want what's best for everybody. Like we all succeed or fail together, right? Right. So it's um, one of my earliest lessons was always be nice to the person checking you at the airport, the person at the rental desk for the you know at, at Hertz or whatever. Because if you come and unload on them with all of your frustrations, you're going to get the nastiest car or the worst seat on the airplane, <laughs> right? Yeah. So always, always be human. But another yeah. thing that I'm seeing come into the picture now is the the cybersecurity aspect and all these hacks, um, because you know at first it was Colonial Pipeline and just in the last month, right? Obviously it's been going on for years, but and now it's meatpacking and what's the next one going to be? And we have to add that into that same picture of disruption and uncertainty and caution. Um, it has to become a priority in our problem solving. So. We're, we're trying to move forward, obviously. Technology always comes up as a solution for, well, if you, if you need to cope with a smaller team long-term, then you're gonna have to automate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, but now we have to be so much smarter and so much more aware of this external threat in the form of, of hackers who are looking to disrupt what we do because they profit off of these same shortages, right? That fear mm-hmm. and that, the behavior, the mass behavior that happens because mm-hmm. of that. So manufacturing just got even more tense, right? I guess not everybody's out there to help help each other. Um, <laughs> no. I'd like to think they're very far and few between. They, they just happen to be able to make a big impact at this point, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, one of the other things you mentioned, and my my technical brain didn't didn't go there right away, is the the labor shortage, like the mm-hmm. skilled trades, the skill, mm-hmm. the the engineers, like things that are that are coming coming down this road with, with personnel shortages, like it's 
you know, I, I find it interesting because we, you, you look at universities and they're still pumping out. They are. Phenomenal amounts of engineers, yet mm-hmm. we are in a big shortage of technical people. Like, yes. Where, why do you think that's kind of happened? Where is this, like, um, I, I get the trades aspect and why we're short on trades. People are being pushed more and more into the university aspect mm-hmm. inst- instead of into the the practical application side of things and that's been that's really diluted our or not diluted but it's really limited the number of new people going in to be yes. mechanics and things like that mm-hmm. um but in terms of like those technical those engineers jobs because when i when i came out of university it was there was a thousand people with resumes that looked just like me from the same university and for us to find a, a job was it was next to impossible. We all found one over the course of like the next two years, but, and then it's funny, you look at things now and you're like, we need engineers. Uh-huh. What happened to all these people that couldn't find a job and where are they now? Are we just not willing to invest the time to just skill them to what we need or, or what, what are you seeing out there? I think that is a very big part of it. Um, Again, coming back to we are so busy that have we cut out too much of the mentorship, too much of that onboarding for the new engineer? Um, have we have the expectations of what they will be able to produce or contribute at the outset become outsized because we ourselves are so strapped? Um, as the the job becomes that more complex, how the lead time or the experience that someone needs to be able to step into it. All of those things are have changed tremendously. And while we are producing phenomenal engineers at the university level, um, and in larger quantities, if I look at the numbers, they they are they are increasing. We have done a great job at pulling people into engineering in a broader demographic than before. Um, where we have the most success is where you have facilities and manufacturing partnering directly with the university so that that path is already established via you know paid internships or apprenticeship programs or what have you that's the way to do it again that takes time and resources so the manufacturer has to accept a longer term philosophy that in order for me to have a continuous workforce then i have to spend extra time building in that apprenticeship, building in that mentorship and accepting that person is not gonna be fully productive yet. And they also, they also run a constant risk that they're going to lose those people, right? They'll put all that training in and they'll job hop somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And that comes back to that human factor. So if you've created a really good workplace and that person wants to stay. So yeah. you have to do all of that. <laughs> and it's a big shift. It's a really big shift from do what I tell you to do. Yeah. Well, and I've worked at, I've worked at quite a few companies and some big, some small, basically none have had a progression plan. Mm-hmm. None have said, right. okay, you know, you're a brand new engineer. You're coming from university for the first six months. This is what you're going to be. Here's like, a, here's a plan to not only get new skills, but see different parts of the organization. But also a, a payment increase like there's like that that's really important too especially when you're it fresh is out really of school. important yes <laughs> and and it's so hard to see like i'm fresh out of school i'm making you know not very much and my student loans are high where's the light at the end of the tunnel there's mm-hmm. no there's no visibility to that and and so of course as, as soon as you see a new job and you see what wage they're gonna offer they're offering you your company's not showing you what's coming down the line, what your potential is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of course, you're going to jump ship. Like, Absolutely. You do the best with the knowledge you have. And if you you know something, it's concrete here, it's in a letter, it's an offer. And you, you look over here and you're like, it's just the black abyss of, I have no idea where I'm going. There's nobody here to help me map out my plan. Like, what's your five-year plan? That's a really hard question to answer a lot of times. Yeah. Because and- you're what's completely achievable correct. in five years i don't know what's achievable in five years like it's you know things can change really quickly as we we've seen and and like it's it's and yeah so like i said that that progression plan i think 
having things like that laid out is going to do huge number for for keeping people mm -hmm. bought into their job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because in a skill shortage, retention is just as important as being able to hire the people you need. You have to keep them as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and <laughs> I think that for a long time that was deprioritized. Right, that the, the mm -hmm. number one job was to get it done, and then the uh, we'll just we'll figure that out, right? Or suck it up, right? Yeah. Um, and turns out that we're all human. Um, on, on to bring in another aspect. Uh, I also talk to people about, are we doing a good enough job to bring more women into the workforce and don't women need a better work-life balance, right? And all these things. I'm like, no, it's a human issue. Everybody needs a better work-life balance. Everybody needs to be treated with respect. Yeah. <laughs> we will all perform better if we can. And I'm not belittling in any way the, the work that it takes to change the gender balance in a, in a workforce or what it takes to come in as somebody different than the existing one that, that that's a whole other topic that's huge right but the point is that everybody benefits from career planning and coaching and mentorship and recognition <laughs> well in oh, taking something like parental leave and for for men to take parental leave like it's yeah. it, it's still it, you know they they can't say it out loud but it's it's still frowned upon like companies right. do not expect it do not expect right. men to take that time off after they have a have a new child and a brand new son or daughter holy cow <laughs> like, and, and for me i was able to take a bit of time off and it was one of the best things best things in the world that, that bonding <laughs> time and like it's it's so powerful and we for we forget that like this is this is 2020 like it's not just the women at home was uh, we're encouraging all the women to to get jobs and stuff as well and we need we need support and so like a lot of times the women are making more than more than the men and it's far more makes far more economical sense for for, for the men to take that time off and the tolerance for that just isn't there yet and it's really it's really tragic because mm -hmm. like for me it was one of the best times <laughs> right Right, and people look at it from a numbers perspective. Like again, you have a skill shortage, so let's bring in more demographics to the workforce. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's a human factor. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really a larger human factor. And and it, it's funny. My husband and I actually are now at exact parity in in our incomes. And for a long time, it was it was not that way, <laughs> and we had to have open conversations, right, <laughs> mm -hmm. about it. Um, and certainly, it's I think fairly unusual for the for the couple to be to be matched that way and then also for that whole intersect of, of family and work mm -hmm. um so the more supportive your work environment can be then the better a person you can be outside of work as well yeah. and guess what you bring that person back into work the next day mm -hmm. yeah and and never forgetting that there's like rob says it all the time like there's you know, he always treated it as like, there's different boats and, you know, we made that home, he's in one boat, but it's all one big boat. You know, it, <laughs> it doesn't matter what you're doing. You're bringing your, your home life to work. And even more so now, like, uh, you know, it looks like I'm in a white void because my background, but like, I'm in my house, my kids are running around in the, yeah. in the back room. Like that's, yeah. that's what life is. And it's going to continue to be that way for a lot of people. A lot of people aren't going to go back to the office and um, that human element it was, it's always been important, but I, you know, I, I do feel like it's been brought front and center over this past year. Yes. And, and more tolerance in some ways has been created, uh, mm -hmm. that, um, we, we visually have to accept that our coworkers have a family, <laughs> whether it's the cat's tail appearing in the, in the call or whether it's just like, hang on, I, I gotta go. Yeah. My son made it into last week's episode. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> so he, I actually, he's made it into a few from screaming in the background, but. Uh. That too. My, my daughter has done the army crawl so that she can be below my camera more than once. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's fantastic. And I, I think that's a good spot to end it. Um, before, before we close out though, I do want to give you the opportunity because you have so much going on 
all the time. Um, and I want to give you the opportunity to kind of tell people what you have upcoming, what's what you what you're planning for, and and kind of what's uh, any plugs or anything that you you want to give there. Thank you. Uh, the Passion Project is the webinar series. It's uh, connected reliability. I do this with in partnership with Fluke. And the best way to find out about that is to find us either on LinkedIn or on the site. So on LinkedIn, you're going to look for Excelix. It's A-C-C-E-L-I-X, Connected Reliability. You are welcome to join our group. We talk about the webinars there, or you can go to Excelix.com and again, find the webinars. And these are all best practices. This is not a plug for a particular kind of solution or um. Uh, or product, this is all about helping us all move forward with one best practice approach and another layered on there. So that's that's my passion project. That's what I would love for everyone to know about and then to join my conversation on LinkedIn. That's perfect. I will put that in the link and, and I'll also make sure that uh, our posts have that as well. So if, you look, try, if you're trying to find Excelix, just uh, look for what maintenance disrupted posts this week and, and you'll find it. So um, perfect. thanks. Thanks, Leah. I really appreciate your time. This is a, a fantastic conversation, a lot of fun. And I, we just scratched the surface of so many topics. So it's for sure. For <laughs> need to dive sure. deeper soon. Maybe a webinar series, right? Ooh, <laughs> indeed. Well, thank you so much, Steve. This was a really great way to start my day.